I should like to call your attention this evening to the words that are to be found in the first verse of the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark. The first verse in the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now those are the words in which... The evangelist Mark begins to state his gospel. And the way in which he does so is something that is very typical and characteristic of the whole of the New Testament. He is presenting his message, and that is the way in which he does it. Now, I say that this is very typical. There's a note of joy, there's a note of confidence, there's a note of assurance. He seems to be saying, listen, here is the commencement of this great and glorious and wonderful thing which I have to tell you. He doesn't waste his time with any introductions. He at once begins with his great proclamation. Now, you'll find that uh, the other writers do very much the same thing. Matthew starts in his same way. He gives us this genealogy which... People may wonder why it's given, but you see, this is what he wants to say, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. He's again making a proclamation. He's making a great announcement. John, you remember, starts off saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's his introduction to his gospel. This I'm trying to show is the great characteristic of the presentation, the introduction of the great message of the New Testament everywhere and in all its books. You get exactly the same thing in the uh, preaching of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's an account of men going round the then known and civilized world making this proclamation, proclaiming this gospel, this good news. And that is why it's always true to say that there is no more lyrical, thrilling book known anywhere amongst men tonight than the book of the Acts of the Apostles. This was the way in which they all did it. This is just one of the evangelists. And he, as it were, bursts forth upon us and holds this thing before us, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, They all felt the same, I say. Listen to the Apostle Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he says. By which he means I'm tremendously proud of it. He's writing to Rome, the seat of the imperial government, the place in which the emperor lived, the very heart and nerve center of that vast and most important empire. He says, I'm ready to come to Rome to preach the gospel. Why? Well, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm proud of it. I'm ready to come and to speak it to anybody. I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, I'm ready to preach it to anybody, anybody who's ready to listen. I'm as ready to preach it to the emperor as I am to the humblest slave in the imperial palace. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. Indeed, he says, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
He must. And that's true, I say, of all these apostles and these New Testament writers. They give us the impression that they've got this great and high privilege of telling people about the most wonderful thing that anybody can ever listen to. And so they bring it to us with this tremendous note of urgency and of confidence and of assurance. And indeed, this is not confined to the great preachers of the New Testament. It's true of the ordinary believers, Christian people. We read in the 8th chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles that there was a great persecution at one point in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And this is what we read. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They were glad of the opportunity. It didn't matter that they'd been persecuted and scattered. The important thing to them was this, that they had an opportunity of telling people about this word, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had an opportunity of telling people, somebody says that can be translated gossiping the word, telling people about it. That was to them a wonderful opportunity, even their persecution and their scattering. They turned into a victory because it gave them the opportunity of telling these strange people amongst whom they were scattered about this gospel, which really had caused them to be persecuted and which indirectly was therefore responsible for their present troubles. That was how they reacted. They went everywhere preaching the word. They wanted everybody to listen to it. They wanted everybody to believe it. They were people who were excited about it. They said, listen to what we've got to say. Now that's what Mark is saying. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now then, the question I want to put to you is this. Why was this? Why did Mark write his gospel? Why did any of the others? Why did the Apostle Paul say he was so ready to preach it in Rome? Why were all these men ready to grasp at any or every opportunity of making this thing known. Why? Now, that, I think, is the question that ought to be facing us. Should people still listen to this gospel? Are you being wise or unwise in listening to it here tonight? You know you're doing something that is rather unusual in this modern world. The vast majority of the people of this country have ceased to listen to it. And they are intolerant with respect to it. They dismiss it. They say it is completely irrelevant. Now they're prepared to listen to other things. They're prepared to read other things. They're prepared to listen to speeches, addresses by politicians and others. They're prepared to listen to lectures on various aspects of life and of living. They're prepared to go and listen to lectures on art and of music and various other intellectual and aesthetic and artistic interests, and they claim to be uh, very much concerned about these things and uh, very interested in them. The more they can hear about them, the, the happier they are. But they feel that this gospel, that it's irrelevant, that it's remote, that it's got nothing to say to them, that it's almost an insult to ask a modern man uh, to listen to it. So the question I'm asking is this. Is this gospel as relevant as it was in the first century? Should uh, I and others who are called to this task, should we have the same spirit animating us as we find in these New Testament preachers and writers? Should every Christian be reacting as the first Christians reacted? 
Have we still a right to ask the world to listen to us? Have we a right to invite the whole world to come and listen to this? Say, listen, here's the beginning. Here is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I think that we are living at such a time and uh, in such circumstances and conditions that uh, we can't take this for granted. It is obvious, as I say, that the vast majority of people don't feel like this about it and don't want to hear it. Why do we say to them that they should listen to it? Why do we go on with this particular work? Why do we say that the modern man is so wrong? Why do we say that he should listen to this gospel? Well, now I want to try to answer that question uh, by means of analyzing this first verse in the uh, first chapter of this gospel according to St. Mark. Why should men and women listen to this? Why should we be anxious to tell them what it is? The first answer I find here is that it's because it is something that speaks to our need and speaks to our condition. The beginning of the gospel. And that means good news. Well, why is it called good news? Why does mankind need good news? Why has this always been represented as good news? And good news about what? Well, here is where we show how vital and relevant and necessary the gospel is today and how it is as necessary and as relevant as it's ever been. It is the word above every word tonight that is speaking to men and women in their greatest, their most real need. It's because, of course, they're... uh, They've misunderstood that the people are no longer interested in it. Let me therefore put it like this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not some matter of speculative interest. It's not just some uh, theory or idea with respect to life. It's not just one of a number of points of view. It's not something that, uh, well, a man can take it up or he can't take it up, as a man may be interested in art, as I say, or in music, or he may not be. You don't condemn a man because he's not interested in music or in art. It's all right if he's made like that, and if he's not interested, you have no right to uh, feist the thing upon him and ask him to listen to it. Leave him alone. He has a perfect right. He's got his interests. He may like carpentry or something like that. Well, let him do that. Now, I say that the gospel isn't something like that. It isn't just uh, something for men and women who are interested in problems. There are people who are interested in problems of thought. They're called philosophers. And uh, they they say they'd like to have some understanding of life. They say it's no use of men just taking things for granted and uh, just allowing things to happen to him. Surely a man's got intelligence and he ought to be trying to understand. And so from the beginning of time. Men have tried to understand the riddle and the problem of life. And they've put up their theories and ideas, and some people find great pleasure and enjoyment in looking at them, comparing them and contrasting them, and arguing about them. They speculate, put up their theories, and test them, and and their ideas, and so on. Now, I say, the gospel isn't like that. It's not merely a kind of intellectual hobby or interest or entertainment. Neither is it merely some emotional interest or entertainment. But let me go further. 
The gospel is uh, not even interested primarily in our temporal needs and material conditions. Now, let me put this uh, in this way, uh, the contemporary scene and situation. I'm asking you to listen to this gospel. There are many people in the world at this moment, in this country at any rate, who are asking us to listen to them. You can't get away from it, can you? On your television or wireless or anywhere else. Political broadcasts. Listen to this party. Listen to that party. They want us to listen to them. They're asking us to listen. They've got something to say. They've got a message, they say. But what are they concerned about? Well, they're concerned essentially about our temporal and material conditions. I know that it isn't only that, but it is essentially that. That's what people are interested in fundamentally and primarily. How are we to be governed during this next five years? How much money are we to have? What's to happen to us? And so on. Well, they may say we're interested in your minds also. We want you to have education. We want you to have houses, hospitals, and so on and so forth. And they say, they say you should listen to us. You should listen to us. Each one says, listen to me. Now, I've got a program which can do better for you than the others can. So you ought to listen to what I've got to say. Don't be foolish now. Don't turn off. Listen. Keep on listening. This is important for you. That's their argument. And it's important for the reasons that I've uh, reminded you of. Now, I'm just here to say this, that the gospel is not in competition with any one of these things. There are reasons for listening to this gospel which are altogether more profound, more urgent, and more vitally important. The gospel addresses us on a deeper level. And this is the first great reason why we should listen to it. What does he talk to us about? Am I speaking to somebody tonight who hasn't been in a place of worship perhaps for years, perhaps never before? Am I speaking to somebody who says, oh, that stuff and nonsense. I'm a realist. I'm up to date. I'm prepared to listen to the politicians because they're going to do something. But you are gospel. Well, I, I don't object to people if there are such people and there are about 10% still left who are interested in that sort of thing, who read their Bible and are interested in sermons. But I'm a man of affairs. I'm practical. I'm up to date. I, I, want, I want something that really has got bite and kick and power in it. I want something that's going to be of value to me. Am I addressing such a person? My friend, my reply to you is that you should listen to this above everything else, the beginning of this gospel, the very essence of it, what it's all about for this reason, that it deals with life at its deepest and profoundest level. It is concerned about the things that matter most of all and that matter finally and fundamentally. What are they? Well, life itself. You see, this is where you see the profundity of the gospel. Of course, let's agree, it is right that a man should live in a decent house. Of course it's right. Every man is entitled to live in decent and good conditions. It is right that a man should have everything possible done to safeguard his health or to treat him if he is taken ill. Certainly, it is the right of every man. Every man has a right to equality of opportunity in education and things like that. Surely there should be no argument about these things. A man who doesn't believe in equality of opportunity is unworthy of the name of man. I'm not saying all men are equal. I am saying that everyone should have an equal opportunity. But, you see, 
The tendency, to, when you look at things in that way, is to forget the most important thing of all. Is uh, a man just a creature who is to be well housed, well fed, health catered for, and given a certain amount of intellectual interest? Is that all? Surely the first question you ought to ask is this, what is man? What is a man? What is this man who is to be housed properly? What is this man whose mind is to be cultivated? What is mind? What is man? Now then, here is the only word that really deals with such matters. That is why the gospel calls upon us to listen to it. That is why these men went out and preached it in the ancient world and called upon everybody to listen to what they'd got to say. It deals with this great question of man himself and my life in this world. What is life? What is the world? What's the object of living? These are the questions raised by this message. And then this great question as to how one is to live. And above and beyond it all, what's the meaning of death? How can a man die? How should a man die? Is there anything beyond it? And then the whole question of the future of the world. I know the next five years are very important, but my dear friend, they'll soon be gone, and some of us, many of us perhaps, will have gone before they're over. We don't know. But then there lies that great question, eternity. These are the questions that are dealt with here. This is the subject matter of this particular message. In other words, and this is the tragedy of this modern age, that men feel that this is irrelevant. But my dear friend, this alone is relevant. Let me put it to you very simply and very plainly like this. How have you stood up to the whole question of life and of living? There are trials that come to us all. There are troubles. There are problems. There are heartaches. Are you perfectly happy? Are you quite content? Are you perfectly satisfied with your record? Can you look with equanimity at your own death and what lies beyond it? These are the great questions. You see, this is a very practical message, this. It's a, this is concerned about us. Are you happy? Oh, there's great unhappiness in the world. The poet speaks about the still, sad music of humanity and how true it is. Think of the unhappiness in the world at this very moment. Don't take one side only. Don't take one picture. Look at the problems. Only this morning I had a question put to me. Is it wrong to commit suicide? There are many people contemplating suicide. There are people in agony of mind and of heart and of soul tonight. By the thousand, not to say more. And there are others who are conscious of failure. Conscious of misery and unhappiness, wondering whether life is worth living at all. Can they ever extricate themselves out of some position? Must they always fail to, uh, to stand and to, must they always fall to the same temptation? This moral problem, the running sword of the soul, call it what you will, these are the problems. These are the things that made life life. Put a man in a palace, he may be yet miserable. Now then, these are the questions which are dealt with by this gospel, by this message. You see, our Lord summed it all up when he put it like this. 
We are told of him that he saw mankind as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as straying sheep at the mercy of all the stray dogs and marauders and all were there to attack us and to make life miserable and unhappy. That's, that's the kind of picture that we are given here constantly by our blessed Lord himself. He just saw people like that and in that condition. And so he says in a pregnant verse that sums it all up, the Son of Man is come, seek and to save that which is lost. Now then, there is our first great reason then for calling upon men and women to listen to this gospel. That's our justification for this meeting tonight. We claim that we are doing the most important, the most vital, the most urgent thing in the world. We are really here to deal with the problems, the problems of life. The great questions that determine whether we are miserable or happy, whether we are at peace or whether we are restless. The whole object is to bring us to see how to live, to know what life is, and to live it in a glorious and in a triumphant manner. That's the first reason. But let me go on to a second reason that's suggested to us at once. The second reason is this, that this message is something concerning something that has happened. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he proceeds at once to the history. Now, I put that in the form of a principle, which, uh, again, I want to show you, is a most important one just at this present time. This word beginning, this is something that is absolutely vital. The gospel is a message concerning something that has happened. And I say that that in and of itself makes it imperative that we should listen to it. Now, let me put it in this form. Let me contrast it with so many other messages that are being held before men tonight. Take all these theories and ideas that I've been talking about. All these points of view, all these various interests in life. Now, all right, I'm, I'm prepared to agree that they all have their interest. And if you are interested, take them up and give your time and your attention to them. But you know, this is something very different for this one reason. That it is a record of something that has happened. Something that has taken place. You may be an intellectualist and you may say, well, I'm very fond of, of reading people's views and theories and ideas about life. I read, therefore, not only the great philosophers, but I read about Confucius and I read of Buddhism. I read all these various other religions and, and, and I'm tremendously interested in their theories and in their points of view. All right. All right, I understand that. I'm not saying a word against it. All I'm trying to show you is that the gospel doesn't belong to those categories. It isn't one of the great religions of the world. It isn't a religion. Well, what is it? Well, it is, I say, something which is historical. Uh, Confucius doesn't tell you about something that's happened. He just tells you what he thinks, what you ought to do and how you ought to live. So does Buddha. So does Hinduism. So do all these various other religions. So do all your philosophies. But here we are face to face with something that puts this message in an entirely different category. 
What is that? Well, I say, here you have primarily a report of something that has happened, of some events that have taken place in history. So that, you see, you're not looking at theories any longer. You are asked to, be, to, to consider a fact, announcement, a proclamation of something that has taken place. Let me use a simple illustration to show you the difference. Mankind before the Second World War, as indeed before the First World War, was spending its time with its various interests. People were discussing the points of view and the philosophy. Politics was very prominent in this country of ours here. And people were giving themselves the pleasure and to enjoyment. And they intended going on doing that the rest of their time in this world. But then suddenly an announcement was made. And what was the announcement? Well, that the Archduke Ferdinand had been murdered at Sarajevo. Here's a proclamation. Of course, people saw the news and many foolishly said, oh, that's, that's all right, these Balkans, they do that sort of thing. Carry on. Let the dance continue. Let us go on with our interest. But an announcement has been made. And you see, the world has never been the same since. Much more important than the theories and the ideas and the intellectual interests and all the fun and the enjoyment is a fact. What makes a difference to life is not simply the theories and ideas that are propagated by men, but the things that take place. The murder of a man, which leads to a world war, and your whole world has been changed, it'll never be the same again, and so on, with various other events like this that have come into history and have changed the whole course. We should pay great attention to things that happen. Well, now then, the gospel goes into that category. It is not merely a teaching. It is first and foremost a proclamation and an announcement of something that has taken place. Indeed, I can put it like this. Why should you listen to this? Well, you must listen to this, says the New Testament, because it affects your life at the profoundest points of all. It goes further and it tells you this. Even though you pay no attention to it, it's going to affect you. You can say, like many men say, about uh, acts of parliament that are passed, they say, I'm not interested. That won't help them at all if they've broken that law and are arrested and find themselves in a court. The act has been passed. It affects them. Whether you like it or not doesn't make the slightest difference. Now, the gospel says that about itself. So that we're not confronted here by a particular teaching or a point of view. We are told here that something has happened in history that affects us, every one of us, whether we like it or whether we don't. We can't escape it. We can't evade it. It goes even further. It tells us that we should listen to it and pay great attention to what it's got to tell us. Because we shall have to face it again. That even though we go through this world without paying any attention to it at all, we haven't finished with it. Now this is what makes this thing so tremendous and so serious. It actually tells us that we can never be the same again because of this gospel. Listen to our Lord himself saying this. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. 
He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You see, that means this. That this word has been uttered. This message has been delivered. And so, when we find ourselves beyond this life at the bar of judgment, we shall have to confront this word that has been spoken. We shall be told the proclamation was made. The statement was announced. You say, but I, I, I didn't hear it. I wasn't interested in it. Well, very well, you will be told you should have listened to it. You should be listening. It was such an important proclamation. Here it is. This has happened. You are left without any excuse whatsoever. Our Lord makes that abundantly clear, doesn't he? He doesn't judge. He says, the word that I have spoken, it shall judge you in the last day. Something has taken place. Something has happened. A cure has been procured. A cure has been announced. And you die of the disease. And you needn't have died. It was there. It was for you. Very well, I say, here is something that is vitally important. Our Lord puts it again in these words. He said, if I had not come and spoken unto you, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. We are dealing here not with the realm of things uh, speculative or philosophical or mere teaching. Oh, thank God for this. The thing that puts this gospel into a category all on its own is that it is an announcement of something that has happened, that has taken place. A great event which has altered the whole course of history and made everything different. And every man now must consider himself in the light of this event. That's the proclamation. Very well, that brings me to my third point, which is this one. The gospel should be uh, listened to, and we should pay great heed and attention to it, because of this very something that has happened, because of the nature of what has happened. What is it that has happened? Well, listen, Mark bursts upon us immediately, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now then, here is the uniqueness of the gospel. And this is really why these men are literally thrilling and pulsating with a divine kind of enthusiasm. This is the thing that makes the apostle say that he's not ashamed of it. This is the thing that made these early Christians ready to die as martyrs for the sake of this gospel. They didn't care that they were persecuted and scattered from Jerusalem. Everywhere they went and preached this word. What is it? Well, it's this amazing announcement of what has taken place. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's it mean? Well, now, let me invite you to do something when you go home tonight. Read the introductions to these various gospels. And you'll be struck at once by something that is so obvious on the very surface. There's the same note there. What is this note? Well, it's the note of wonder. It's the note of marvel. It's the note of amazement. Now, Mark is in many ways the most practical of them all, and he doesn't give us all the details that we have about the real beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get that much better in Matthew and in Mark and in John. 
Marks this practical men, as it were, the men who just wants to give you the bare outline, the skeleton. The others give us the details. And what are these details? Well, you see, there are things like this. Some of the most astonishing and amazing things that the world has ever known. It's an atmosphere of marvel. It's an atmosphere of miracle. The old world that we are living in, it's an old, old world, and it had been going on so long, and the Jews in particular, they'd got a real routine, a ritual, and the priests had got it in connection with the temple. They divided up their duties in the temple into various times, and different people went at different times, and we are told here... Uh, in this amazing way in the Gospel according to St. Luke, that a man of the name of Zacharias, who was one of these priests, it came to pass, uh, he, there he was, his, he and his wife Elizabeth, they had no child, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, he'd gone in many times before and had done his duty and he'd gone out again and somebody else had relieved him and had gone in, They'd organized this thing very well, as the labor's organized today. You clocked in and you clocked out, and on they went. They just did their duty according to his course, according to the custom of the priest's office. His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And this had happened many, many times before. It was just routine, just a part of the routine worship. Zacharias had gone in not expecting anything to happen, and nobody else was expecting anything else to happen. But listen, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias saw him. He was troubled and fear fell upon him, and the angel began to speak to him. Now, that's the sort of way in which the gospel begins. Suddenly there's an intervention. Suddenly there is an angelic appearance. It's not the only one. Listen, here's another one for you. You read in the 26th verse in the 6th month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Quite natural. Young men, young women fall in love with one another. They become engaged. They're hoping to get married. Nothing unusual. Quite the usual, normal, I say almost routine again. But you see, no, no, something's happening. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women. And an announcement is made to her. Amazing and astonishing. She stumbles at it. She doesn't understand it. She's in trouble about the whole thing. But doesn't matter. The announcement is made. And then Mary herself, you see, bursts forth into song when she comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And Mary burst forth into her song. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And on you go with her great song of praise and of thanksgiving and of worship unto God. And old Zacharias, who had been struck down, he does exactly the same thing. 
His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He burst forth into song. What's this? Well, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is, this is not just men getting a good idea. This is not a new political program or an idea of social reform. It's not just some new insight into philosophic truth. No, no. Angels come down. God hath visited and redeemed his people. And you get exactly the same thing you remember later. In connection with the birth of our Lord, let me remind you of this old story, how wonderfully it brings out this point. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. There's no more ordinary task than that. Shepherds were very lowly people at that time in Israel. It was one of the lowest forms of occupation to be a shepherd. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And there they were at night and doing this half asleep, half awake, drudgery in the extreme. Nothing expected, nothing happening. But listen, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said, Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. My friends, this is what's happened. This is why I'm standing in this pulpit. I'm not here to expand the theories of philosophers. I'm not here to put my own ideas to you. I'm here to tell you that this has happened. This is history. This has taken place. What is this? Well, this is the unique event of all time. Old Zacharias has expressed it. God hath visited and redeemed his people. What is this? Well, as John the Baptist and our Lord himself in their preaching put it, the time is fulfilled. What's happened? Oh, this is what has happened. When the fullness of the times was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Here's a man. Here's a babe born in Bethlehem. The announcement made to the shepherds was concerning him. They went to Bethlehem and they saw him lying in the manger, even as they'd been told he would be found. And they went back rejoicing. Why? Just because a babe's born? Because a babe's born in a stable? Because a babe's lying in a manger? No, no. Because of who he is? Jesus, yes, but he's Christ. Son of God. Listen to the author of the epistle to the Hebrews putting it. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he hath also appointed heir of all things, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's it. That's why you and I should listen to this, my dear friends. We are listening here to the unique event of all events in the whole history of the world and of the universe. We are asked to listen to the beginning of something that divides time into two. 
Something that is catastrophic in the whole history of the human race. We are concerned about the message of one and concerning one who was able to say something like this. We speak that we do know and testify that which we have seen. You see, he said that to a great teacher, a man called Nicodemus, a man who knew his scriptures and who was an excellent expositor of the scriptures. He said that to a human teacher. But that is what he says to him. He says, I'm not giving you a theory out of books. I'm not here to tell you what other men have taught. I'm not, as a, I'm not here as an expositor. We speak that which we do know and testify that which we have seen. This is none other than the Son of God. And this is why this is the most urgent and the most relevant and the most important message that mankind can listen to this evening. This is the thing that sent these others thrilling out along that ancient world. That God had entered into time. That God had sent his own Son. We are no longer listening to men. We are listening to God. God in the flesh. God incarnate. My dear friend, don't you see how important and vital this is? We've listened to men. Mankind has been listening to men throughout the running centuries. I'm not here to disparage the abilities and the efforts and the endeavors of men. All honor to them. But what have they done? Where have they taken us? What have they discovered? What do they know? Is the world becoming increasingly happy? Are we finding it increasingly easy to live and to be moral and straight and pure and good and true? Have they solved the problem and death of death and the grave and what lies beyond? And the answer is they haven't. We know they haven't. There's no need to disparage them. But all I'm saying is this. Isn't it the essence of wisdom to listen to one who speaks with a unique authority? Because he's not only man. He is man. He's truly man. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He worked as a carpenter. He is a man. But he's not only man. He's son of God. Have you started listening to him, my friend, in your troubles and your problems? When you're dealing with this whole question of what is men, what am I, what's life, what's the meaning, what's the object, how can I live in a decent, clean manner, how can I die without being afraid, how can I look with equanimity at that unknown future, listen to this one. Here is one who's come out of eternity into time. Here is one who's lived as a man amongst men, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Here is one against whom the devil brought out all his reserves and trained all his batteries upon him, and yet he vanquished him, he smote him, he conquered him. Here is one who has met every temptation that you can ever meet, but he never fell to a single one. And he asks you to listen to him. He's got a message for you. He says he's come to help you. He says he's come to deliver you. That's why you should listen. I agree with you. We are getting tired of theories, aren't we? We are getting tired of promises. It's a very dangerous thing, this. There is a sort of apathy in this country today about the general election because the average man says, well, we know, we've heard it all before. And so they stop listening. In a sense, I understand it, though it's wrong. It's our business to get the best government we can. But all I'm saying is this. 
that we know that no men can satisfy our real problems, no men can solve. Civilization is a failure. Civilizations come and go. They go round in circles. All the wisdom of the sages of all the ages has not been able to deal with and to solve our real problems, nor to satisfy our deepest and our most fundamental needs. None of them. Man at his best, at his tiptoe, all honor to the great men of the world. They cannot get there. The world, by wisdom, knew not God. So God has sent his only Son into the world. When the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. What is this thing preached? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here is a thing I say that puts it into a category quite apart this evening. That it is God speaking in the person of his only Son, addressing us directly. God has come down in the person of his Son to solve the problem of humanity. That's the message. So I would say just a brief final word to you. My fourth principle. We should listen to it because of the consequences of this thing which has happened. What are the consequences? They're all summed up in the word gospel. Good news. Isn't this the tragedy of the world tonight? That it doesn't know this good news? Look at the blase way in which people dismiss the gospel. Oh, what a tragedy. And all this has happened, which I'm telling you. These people who are so ready to be thrilled by anything or nothing, who can work up a great excitement and get into an ecstasy about mere trivialities, Regard with disdain and complete indifference this amazing fact that God hath visited and redeemed his people. This is the good news. What is it? Well, let me put it to you in the great verse of Charles Wesley. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. That's the good news. What's it mean? Well, again I remind you that our Lord himself put it in these words. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you know what the good news is? It's just this. I hope to elaborate it on subsequent Sunday evenings. This is the beginning of the gospel of Christ. This is how this good news came. This is how it burst upon the world when it wasn't expecting it. What did it say? Well, this is what it tells us. All our troubles, all of them. I'm not hesitating to use the word. There is nothing which can be excluded. All our troubles are due to our sin and due to the fact that we are estranged from God. Why do we need governments at all? Why do we need kings? Why do we need governors? Why do we need magistrates? Why do we need those to enforce law and order? Why has all this become necessary? There's only one answer. It is because of sin. All our problems are the result of sin. There would have been no problems if men hadn't sinned. So you see, the Bible says this is the fundamental formula. 
that all mankind have sinned against God is in the wrong relationship to God. Indeed, it goes further. Because the world has sinned against God, it is under the wrath of God. There must be no mistake about that. God hates sin. And God doesn't bless willful, rebellious, arrogant sinners. No, no. He does the opposite. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men that hold down the truth in unrighteousness. You see, the world is as it is because it's not receiving the blessing of God. Indeed, the displeasure of God is upon it. And this is what we are witnessing. All these things that happen, these two great world wars, are nothing but a manifestation of the wrath of God upon sin. You see, it works like this. Man, by sinning, has brought disorder into the world. He brought in jealousy and envy and strife and hatred and bitterness and lust and passion. All these things came in when man fell. He wasn't made like that. They've come in because he's fallen. And here it is. Now God has introduced government and order to keep these things within bounds. But when mankind gets up and says we can order it ourselves and we don't need you by means of democracy and counting heads, we can get perfect government and re reintroduce by legislation a condition of paradise, God says very well. I will withhold my restraints and see what happens. And what has happened has been two world wars. That arrogant criticism of the Bible and disbelief in God began in Germany. Don't forget that. In the 1830s. And she has been the main cause of trouble ever since in the two world wars and in other respects. This is one of the consequences and all the nations of the world are involved in this. God has withdrawn his restraints that arrogant men may reap the consequences of his own blasphemy and his own folly. And that is what the world deserves. It deserves nothing but the misery that it brings upon itself. If a man won't take good advice, if a man rejects a gracious offer and lands himself in trouble, who has he got to blame but himself? He's made his own bed, you say, let him lie in it. And that is what mankind deserves. But my dear friend, it is my privilege to tell you tonight about the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What is it? It's this. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Good news. Here it is. God was in Christ, in and through Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Here's the good news. That though we all are fools, Though we all are suffering and reaping the consequences of our own rebellion and sin against God, that which we've inherited, that which we are guilty of ourselves, though we deserve nothing but increasing and continued misery and hell beyond it to all eternity, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son into it, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came, was born of the womb of that Virgin Mary to whom the archangel made the announcement. John the Baptist sent before him and old Zacharias is proud that his little son has the great privilege of being the forerunner of such a glorious Messiah and deliverer. 
It's not surprising they're all thrilled, that they all sing, that the angels sing. The shepherds go back to their sheep rejoicing. These men go out and preach and are ready to die for this message. What is it? Oh, that God in his infinite everlasting love, in spite of what we are and what we deserve, has made a way whereby he can forgive us and reconcile us unto himself and restore us to his favor. Give us a new start. Give us a new life. Give us a new outlook. Give us a new power. Give us a new understanding. Give us something of his own divine, eternal character. Offer us the vista and the promise of spending eternity everlastingly in his holy and in his glorious presence. Good news, my dear friend, that it is possible for you and for me to overcome sin and temptation. It's possible for us to have victory where we've always known defeat. It is possible for us to enjoy the blessings of God and to live life in a worthy manner. It's possible for us to understand ourselves and life and God's great purpose and the world and its future. If any man be in Christ, all things are passed away, all things have become new. He's a new creation. That's why it's such a privilege to preach this gospel. And remember, it's a gospel for all, for any, whosoever believeth in him. Your psychotherapy, your psychological mechanisms, your drugs, your political programs, your sociological schemes... They all rely upon your ability. They all need time. They all need application. They all need energy. They say, here it is for you. This is all you've got to do. But the trouble with us is we can't do it. We lack the willpower. We've lost the stamina. There's something crippling us. We can't. Thank God. The Apostle Paul was able to say about this message, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And to salvation to everyone that believeth. Here is a gospel that can come to a man or a woman so steeped in sin that they've almost lost a human personality. And it can make new creatures. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Here is something that tells you that whereas you and I and all mankind by nature are not only sinful and guilty, and are weak and powerless and helpless and hopeless and forlorn, that the power of God is engaged on our side and can lift us up and make new men and women of us and give us a new life that will amaze us and astonish us as long as we are left in this world and to all eternity. It's a message that makes a man who sees it and knows what it is join with all those at the beginning who sang and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That, my dear friend, is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Are you amazed at it? Do you rejoice in it? Are you thrilled by it? You either are or you're not. And if you're not, you don't understand it. You don't see your need. You don't know the problem. You don't see what's happened. I'm here to announce it to you. 
And to tell you quite simply that you have but to believe this. And to go to God and to thank him for it and to give yourself to him. And you'll soon begin to sing. And you'll want everybody else to know about it. As Mark did, as Matthew did, as Luke did, as John did, as Paul did, as all the people scattered abroad did. Wherever they went, they went and preached the word, the good news of God and sinners reconciled in Jesus Christ and him crucified. The closing hymn is hymn number 320, 320. O'er the gloomy hills of darkness, look, my soul, be still and gaze. All the promises do travel with a glorious day of grace. Here's the future outlook for all who believe this message, 320. 